All right. All right. Good morning. Yeah. My throat gets dry, so that's why I have my drink up here. So if I just start drinking it, just so you know, it's either that or I don't talk. And that could work out either way for you, I guess. So there you go. Uh, all right. I have to time myself because if I don't, I talk too long. So I actually, you know, I'm pretty much an introvert. But I do enjoy talking about God's Word, and I do enjoy talking about what we do overseas. So I have a tendency to talk too long. So this is for your protection. Now look at it. Um, I, so my name's Jonathan. Uh, I have, I'm 43. I'm older than I am when I first started on the field. Uh, people, uh, yeah. So that's my wife is right there. My kids are there. We, I'm from Mississippi, and uh, my wife is from uh, Nashville. So we are stateside there. We're staying at a mission house in Nashville. We'll just to so you know who we are. Um, I I have a burden to share with Muslims. I met went overseas for the first time in 2001. Had never met a Muslim, anything like that. Didn't know any Muslims. Uh, it was not prominent. This was pre 9/11, and some of you were not even born at that time. But I was in India for two weeks in a Muslim area when 9/11 hook shook, and that's when Islam entered the scene because they struck America pretty much, and it became popular and all that. Um, but God really burdened my heart during that time. I, I was working with Muslims, and that happened. And so since 2001. Uh, really had a burden for Muslims to hear the gospel, and that continues to be the case whether I'm here or wherever. Uh, my family wants to share with Muslims too. Uh, I'm not saying they don't, but I, I, I know that I think sometimes my wife is more, uh, she does a lot with Brahmin people because she's basically, she teaches our kids and all that, so she meets a lot more upper caste, which we don't agree with caste stuff, but I'm just telling you that she, in their view, so uh, my wife does a lot with that, and she still does help me with the Muslim work in, as well. And we do that as a family. Uh, some people say, well, do your kids go with you? Yes, our kids go with us. We wouldn't live somewhere without them. So, um, yeah, that's, we work with Muslims in the southern part of India in the state of Tamil Nadu, Kerala, and as of two years ago, the Maldives. So we're really grateful for that work. And I, even during the this music and stuff, we I had a group of guys that went there and for the first time to do some to pray and do some support work with a national brother that's working in the Maldives. So very thankful for what the Lord is doing there. Um, so if you have a question about more about our work, just please let us know. I think uh, Lewis said he'd give us some time at the end just to say if anyone has questions or something like that. Um, last night we went out to eat and. Uh, Someone said they wanted to hear a story, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't, you know, there's lots of stories you can tell, but I'll do one that I think actually fits with this, because I think it's funny. Uh, so today, I kind of want you to know what abiding is. Like, today's message, when Lewis said, what are you going to speak on, and they're asking, um, I want you to know this is just, I'm, I'm personally walking through, reading through the Bible. I started in 2016. I'm up to Isaiah 8. And it's not because I can't read. I can, but I've read through the Bible before, but I've missed so much that I decided when I went through it this time, I was going to read it as slow as possible and get as much out of it as I can. And so, really, I want to encourage you in your abiding time 
I want to encourage you to, if you're not spending time with the Lord, if you don't know what that looks like, I'm sure many of you do. Some of you just read the Bible and you check it off your to-do list. Well, I did my 15 minutes of quiet time. I read the chapter in the daily Bible reading. But your life really isn't being changed by it because you're not asking the Spirit to show you what needs to be seen. There is a spiritual aspect where you can just read it but not be open to what the Lord and the Spirit's leading you to do, or to ask, how do I apply that to my life? How does the Lord, how does this impact me? So this is coming from my personal time with the Lord recently, and what I was learning from Isaiah. And so I, I hopefully that will encourage you to do that as well. Um, so there you go. My story is very, very quickly this. It's not even a real story. It's more like something that happened this week. So this also, I'm trying to not only tell a story, but say something about my daughter, Alana, because whenever I speak, she always, she's always making fun of me. You say the same thing every time. It's because I don't go to the same place every time. So every time I go to a church, I kind of have to do the same thing. Um, so this story has not been told, and this is actually from Alana. So that we have to uh, we have to watch these videos about security and stuff with the IMB, and we have to go through these training videos, and it, they're, they're, they're long. It's like five hours of my life I'm never getting back. I, I know the security protocol, and honestly, at this point, if I get taken or robbed or held for ransom, I saw it coming. I've been there a long time. I, it's on me. You know, at this point, I, no one's making me be there. So, but I, we have to do these training videos, and everyone else in our organization does as well. So this past week, we were at this training for the past week with other IMB workers, and uh, some kids, the lady that does those videos, everyone in our organization has seen her face, and we've seen those videos. Well, she was at these meetings this week, and she was going around meeting people. And so she goes into Alana's room, and she said, hey, how's everyone doing? And you have any questions for me? And one of the kids in Lana's group says, hey, I know you. My mom says you're boring. <laughs> so uh, honestly, that was probably the funniest, most happy moment of my week. Because I thought, yeah, you are. You're really boring. But the way that you say, how does that have to do with Isaiah? It's very clearly this. One, the little kid had a strong message. Like, Hey, lady, it might be a wake-up call, like, you're way too boring, and everyone knows it! In fact, out of 110 people that are supposed to have watched all those videos before we can go back to the field, before we left yesterday, they were like, 72 of you have not completed your task. And I'm one of those 72, because I can't bring myself to get work through it. However, because that lady did hear that child say, hey, lady, you're boring, it's, it was a hard truth. But you know, now there's a glimmer of hope. She might go back and say, you know what, maybe we can trim five down to three. Maybe, in, maybe, maybe I can do some different things to spice this up so other poor people don't die of boredom before they go back overseas. Um, so thank you, Lana, for the story. That was awesome. And today's message is from Isaiah 6. So you can look, go ahead and look at it. <clears throat> uh, I'll read it for you. You guys stand for reading the word or do you not? It's up to you. Go ahead and stand. I don't know. You never know what churches do. Some people get settled in and they're real comfortable. Others, if you don't stand up, you might as well be doing blasphemy. So it just depends. I'm going to read from Isaiah 6. And like I said, this is what the Lord's been teaching me. Um, and I've been dwelling on it. So I want to just share with you, one, what I think it, what it means in Sunday school. We learned, who, who taught the Sunday school that I was in? I totally forgot your name. If you know, if I was in your Sunday school and you were teaching... Yeah, Jordan. Jordan said, what does it mean? And what was the other question? 
Yeah, what does it mean? What does it mean by what it's saying? So in other words, let's find out what it's saying. And there's some difficult stuff in here. It's really popular because of a few verses, but it's actually kind of hard to work through. Isaiah 6, I'm reading from the Holman Christian version. Follow along. I'll try to read in whatever version you got there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. Each, had six, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord say, who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. And he replied, Go, say to these people, Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Dull the minds of these people, deafen their ears, and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. Then I said, Until when, Lord? And he replied, until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants, houses are without people, and land is ruined and desolate. And the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again, like the terebinth or the oak, the trees, which leaves a stump when failed, the holy seed is the stump. You may be seated. Or you can continue to stand if that's how you learn. It's, it's really up to you. Um, so, most of us have heard this at some point because of what Isaiah said. We definitely know holy, holy, holy. We sang that. Thanks for the worship this morning, man. That was great. It was a blessing to hear all of you sing, uh, even at the end of the songs without the, the instruments. I think that's really cool to hear, the, to hear um, the church sing in unison truth. So... These verses, here I am, send me, holy are the holy, that's what kind of makes Isaiah 6 popular. I've heard it quoted a lot, but let's, let's keep looking at it. So in the beginning, let's start at the beginning. So first is in King Uzziah's died. Many people wonder, well, why is this just getting, telling us that chapter 6, his call? Well, it is kind of, you would think, well, why didn't he put it at the beginning like Jeremiah did? Well, okay, whatever, but... The point here is he's talking about the year he died. In other words, he's come, it, this is the moving on. At the beginning of the book of Isaiah, it lays out, Isaiah is there for, through four different kings. He's going through, so basically up until this point, you have this, Isaiah just stating in the first five chapters how awful sin, how awfully rebellious Israel has done. Now that's really important. Because if you have working through the first king, uh, so now he, basically it's Isaiah's way of saying, okay, I'm starting a new section. I'm going to move on to this other king in chapter 7 with Ahaz. And that, that's a whole other thing. But looking at before chapter 6, you have him starting in chapter 1 just basically saying, hey, 
You're rebellious. He goes on and on about how sinful they are. And this is the people that have been called. This is Israel that is acting in rebellion against God. They're following the religions of other, of the Eastern religions. So basically, they're, the people of Judah are being just like the other nations. And you've probably heard of this before. Israel had a very big tendency to do this. They were supposed to be, as in chapter in Isaiah 2, now don't worry, I won't go over every chapter. In, that's, you know, if I'd spoke from 49, we would have had to go through all 48 before that, but don't worry. But here we only got five, so I think this is important. In chapter 2, you get to where he's telling them, like, look, there will be a time when all these nations who you're currently acting like, they're going, to come to, they're going to come to you and say, teach us about Yahweh. Teach us about the God that has given us the law. In other words, God's law is so good. His instruction is so good because it points us to him. Other nations will come to you and ask about this. But then he goes back and he goes, continues to say, but you know what, Israel, you're, you're still really awful at this point. Like you're not following, you're turning to these other religions, you're to idols, you're treating the widows in a bad way, uh, you're just, everything that you could possibly do, that's what you're doing. You're living and walking in shame. And then you continue on in, in verse chapter 3 and 4 and 5, you have the same thing. One thing he does in 3 and 5, especially in 5, is talk about how their leaders are corrupt. So the Jewish leaders who are supposed to be knowing God's word and pointing them towards God are actually the worst of all. And when you start reading through it, you can hear Jesus in your mind talking about the vineyard and how the Jewish leaders of that time, even in, in Jesus' time, were still leading the people away from God, not pointing to because their hearts were bad. In fact, Isaiah gets so, God get, in Isaiah, God gets so strong to say, all the sacrifices you're offering, all of these holy things you're doing, you're following the law, I hate it. Because it's hypocrisy. And we do have to, that's not, that's something we certainly have. As the church, are we following through, are you checking off your daily quiet time? Are you here this morning because it's Sunday morning? Or did you come to spend time with God? And you, we have to continue to ask ourselves, are we, do we become ritualistic? No, we're not doing sacramental elements. No, we're not doing Catholic-type things if you're from that. Baptist life can be the exact same way. Any church can have the tendency to fall back into religiosity and totally miss seeing Jesus. So we want to see Jesus. We want to know who he is and what he's doing. Okay, so the backdrop is first five chapters, Israel's got some serious problems going on, and then come, and, but there's always a remnant. Isaiah also mentions out earlier, in fact, if you can hold on to six, turn to chapter one, verse nine. And believe me, this has a purpose. I'm not just throwing stuff out there. In chapter nine, he says, if the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would resemble Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen, you instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So he's telling those people, Israel, you're Sodom and you're Gomorrah, and you remember what I did to them, right? You're no better. But there's a few survivors. There's going to be a remnant. 
And throughout, there continues to be this remnant. And it's super important because remember, God has made promises that there will be a king who will come. There will be this. And from Genesis 3, there's a seed that will come that will demolish evil forever. So all through the Torah, all through, there's this idea of there is going to be judgment because God is holy, holy, holy. The judgment will come, but through that judgment, there will remain a remnant that is holy and pure and good. And that is the promise of God that is no secret at this point is ultimately Christ. Because Israel, they never, they never met it. They never did it. Okay, look at six. If you, or if you never left, just keep looking at it. So if you, chapter, uh, in the first few verses, he sees this vision. And <clears throat> you can, it's, it's basically, you have this heavenly vision in the year the king died, I saw seated on a high throne. So from the very beginning, he's stating, hey, you know, God is showing him he's in control. He's sovereign. He is the high king of all creation. His robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. Each had six wings. Two covered his feet. Two covered his face. And with two, they flew. So you've got these heavenly hosts, this picture of these beings. They cannot see the glory of God. They're, they're covering themselves because of who he is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. So this is, he is the creator. He is the person that is over all nations. So when it comes to thinking about missions, yes, Israel has a special place because that's his, but the nations are his. So he is saying all of his glory is for all of the earth. So he has this covenant relationship with, on a personal level with Israel, but they're supposed to tell the nations so they can be brought in. So verse 4, the foundations of the doorway shook and sounded their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. The idea of temple, actually that's the word in verse 1. It just means big hall, but it's often referred to as the temple. And we can understand that there are these temple elements and what a lot of people don't realize or to go back to is even these things are pointing us back to Genesis 1, perfection. If you go through and you read through the instructions of the temple and, oh, it's boring, I don't understand. The temple, the tabernacle was all set up to remind them of Eden. What was in Eden before sin? Perfect unity with God. What does the temple do? It opens and signifies that that is a point of reconciliation where a sacrifice was made by the high priest so that sin could be atoned for. In other words, sin brings death. And these sacrifices would cover that shield and gain. But ultimately, even we know from Hebrews, even these sacrifices, all the goats, all the rams, all the things, all the perfect sacrifices they gave, they ultimately pointed to Jesus. That's Hebrews. So we, we know from this is very clear that Jesus is, he is the fulfillment of that. So then these first four verses, what you have is the glory of God, how awesome God is, how incredible he is. And in that in through, even there's this idea still of sacrifices being wove through. The smoke was part of a sacrifice going on. So the worship of God included sacrifice. And for us, it's the remembering of his sacrifice. Verse 5, then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. Some of your translations may say, I am silent. Uh, There's different ways. Either way, there's a stunned amaze there. Woe is me. 
I, have, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the king. The Lord now, there's this idea here of, well, we've never seen God, right? Well, not in his fullness. If I were to see, if we, we can't. Like, he's too glorious. And Isaiah knows this. Remember, Isaiah's the prophet, and he's the one that's often talking. He's the guy that's telling Israel on behalf of God to repent and turn, and judgment's coming. But even he knows that he, in front of God, that he can't be there because the holiness is so there. And I wanted to mention this as well. Remember, I mentioned in chapter 2 that they would come. When we talk about it, and I don't like it when people do this. Well, we just follow God, and we just obey it because he says it. Yes, you do. But if you're not, it's, not a, it's not just a mere legalism where I'm going to do this because God said it. Yes, God said it. You should do it. But someone that understands the nature and the goodness of God, the nations are coming because they see the rules. They see that and like, that's good. They want that. So when we are seeking the law and the goodness of God, it's pointing us closer to Jesus, to who he is. And I'm going to tell you, I've been out of America for a while, and I've come back. Someone asked yesterday, did you see any differences? Yes, your, America is far worse morally than it's been since I've... I, I know I'm just getting old and everyone says that, but I'm telling you, you leave America and you come back 10 years, people just use vulgarity. Uh, the way people talk inappropriately about men and women in, a, in the public at my kids' soccer games, what kids do. Um, the idea of, of holiness is just not there. But what I also have noticed is that the actions and the morality and the things, that the, the way that all the, that I see of the actions, I wouldn't take it for anything because it, it, it just brings sadness and destruction. I'm not just picking on people that cuss because I'm from Mississippi. I still, that's, I still have to struggle with that. Some words still come out every now and then. I'm just using that as an example. This law, this holiness of God is good. You're quiet. You're spending time with the Lord. That's, that's where your hope and your joy comes from is being with him. Isaiah knew it. And he knew that this holiness, while would bring death to him because of how good he is, at the same time, this holiness is what also what brings ultimate unity with God and peace is his holiness. His holiness is wrath and judgment. It is also joy and hope. It is both. And apart from the holiness of God, you don't have hope. You don't have anything else. You certainly don't have joy. Because without the holiness of God, we're left to our sinful nature, and you don't want anything to do with that. So there is Isaiah seeing God. He is ruined, and there's this unclean, and I am a people of unclean lips. So, in the, so far in this vision, you have God revealing himself as holy, that he is the great God creator of the universe, but also being intimately connected personally to a chosen people that are willing to follow him to be his knight to the nations, which is also going to go back to Genesis 12 and beyond. Verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal. If he had taken the old... Uh, he had taken the, uh, from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth and said, Now this has touched your lips, your wickedness removed, and your sin atoned for. Mentioned that earlier in, in the songs uh, where I think I, you were, they were discussing, in fact, that it's not that, yeah, it's not us that brings the forgiveness, it's God. He brings the atoning. He's the one that does it. Isaiah doesn't do it. It's the Lord. So let's move on, because I think you probably understand that part, and I want to get to a couple more things before my time runs out. 
So yes, he's holy. God makes us holy. And then comes now verse 8. Let's look at verse 8. Then I heard the voice, who shall send who will go for us? This is what I said earlier. A lot of people know these verses. Here I am, send me. Here I am. Yeah, we should do that. As we are a priesthood, First Peter talks, it talks about us being priests, a holy nation. We are different. And when we come into God and we have forgiveness, our sins have been atoned for by our faith in Christ, the nat- this is the natural response. Here I am, send me. Oh, here I am, let me become a Bible scholar. Yes, you do need to read your Bible. I've already made that clear. That's why I'm doing this message today. But we often, we don't, we have become, and I'm, we've become so afraid of attributing good works to salvation that we ignore obedience and desire to do good works. You are saved by grace through faith. But if you are saved by grace through faith, your life should express obedience. Why? Because the goodness and holiness of God, those who are born again have the spirit who know God is good. His goodness rolls through his instructions. And that, he requi- and that means that I joyfully want to go and do what the Lord calls me to do. The question I would ask for you is, when was the last time you said, Lord, here I am, send me? That could be many different things. For Isaiah, we'll get to this in a minute, it's going to be a message of judgment. But we do need the attitude of, yes, Lord, I've been forgiven. Here I am, send me. And then ask the Lord to guide you, what is that task? Because I I don't know that we do that on a consistent basis. Where are you being sent? It might be to India. It could be across the street. It could be to an Indian place I went to yesterday. It could be anywhere in the world. Speaking with Muslims, uh, people are scared of them. They don't want to talk to them. In this area, I've se- I saw three Muslims yesterday. They're in Baton Rouge. Who's talking to those? Who will go to the Muslims? I know you have the opportunity, so I want to challenge you. Look around your communities. Find people that, they're, were, that are not here and, and go be willing to say hey to them. But keep going. It's not that easy. Sometimes it sounds good on a t-shirt. Here I am, send me. But look what happens. Here I am, send me. And he, verse uh, 9, he replied, go. Go to these people. Go to Judah. Go to Jerusalem. Keep listening. Now these verses are interesting. So go ahead and get it. This is your thinking cap here. So this is where it gets very interesting. Goes to these people. Keep listening, but do not understand Keep looking, but do not perceive. Dull the minds of these people. Deafen their ears. Blind their ears. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand with their minds. Turn back and be healed. So go tell these people, hey, judgment's coming. Your message is actually going to dull their minds. Otherwise, they might see. So are we saying God doesn't want them to repent? Do you remember who else said these things? Jesus, and he was quoting this. I want, I want you to look at it because I, this is what I've always loved, man. The New Testament is incredible, and I love it, but I'm just going to be honest with you. The Old Testament gets the shaft a lot, but if I really enjoy it. I'm looking at my notes. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Jesus uses it, and a lot of you already know this, right? When as soon as I read, read them, oh yeah, Jesus said it. These are hard. 
Mark chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Well, if I can get it, my page is sticking together. Sorry. Should have it memorized, see, and that wouldn't happen. All right. Actually, I do. Let me go ahead and read 10 too. When he, Jesus, was alone with the twelve, those who were around him asked him about the parables. He answered them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been granted to you, but to those outside everything comes in parables, so that they may look and look and not perceive. They may listen and listen, yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew, you can just remember that one. They're all quoting Isaiah, but turn to Matthew 13. One of my favorite things to do is studying the Old and the New Testament. How does the New Testament... You sounds bad, but you know what I'm saying. Chapter 13, verse 14. Uh, Same idea. Of course, the Gospels complement each other. For this... uh, Verse 13, starting there, For this reason I speak to them in parables, because looking they do not see, and hearing they do not listen or understand. Verse 14, look at your translation closely. Like I said, this is fun. I like it. Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, which says, You will listen and listen, yet never understand, and you will look and look, yet never perceive. Verse 15, For this people's heart has grown callous, their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn back, and I would cure them. Do you see a subtle shift in the two translations? In the two, what's happening there? They're not opposite. There's this Greek version called the LXX. It's a, basically a Greek translation of the Old Testament. You can go back and learn Greek if you want to, if you've got time to squeeze that in. But these versions, they're not opposite. It's both and. Why does that mean it? God is in complete control, and yes, He does harden hearts at times. But let us not... That Greek translation, Jesus is using it here. In other words, there is a hardening that comes from God. But what did I tell you at the beginning about you need to know the first five chapters? What had Israel and its leaders been doing for literally decades and decades? God, I know you brought me out of Egypt, but I really like this Asherah pole over here. You know what, God? I know you saved us from the Red Sea. You brought us redemption. You saved us. You brought us that. You gave us a land flowing with milk and honey. You made us, you gave us the promised land. But you know what, God? I'm going to start going over here and worship with Jezebel. Paul says it over and over that Israel just continued to be stiff-necked to turn from God over and over and over again. And now with Isaiah, here's the message. Go preach judgment to them. It's time. And believe me, judgment came. One of the most well-known documented things in Jewish history is the fall of Jerusalem fall of Israel, and then Jerusalem. So they continued to turn away, but God's judgment was purifying. It was not meant, there was meant to be a remnant. But when I said a minute ago, I want you to think about, here I am, send me. How easy, we often think when missionaries, I don't call myself that because it's confusing and it's weird, but I am, I guess. So if we say, it's, 
yeah, I want to go to the nations, and we think, well, they didn't have a lot of people come to faith, so I guess they're not doing something right, or, or you know, they're not doing something correctly. What we fail to mention is the gospel proclamation, whether or not someone receives the message of judgment or whether they reject it, the glory of God is still there. If they are judged for their sin, God is not mocked. It is, not a, it is never a failure to preach and teach the judgment that is coming, and if they reject it, it's still glorifying to God. Because it's his word, and understand this, whether it be through judgment or whether it be through the grace that is giving in his blood covering your sin, either way, the Lord will be holy. He will be worshiped forever. So I will never accept that the word of God goes forth and that he is not being glorified in the earth. He is. Whether the multitudes reject or the multitudes receive, he is holy, 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 and he is good. There are millions of Muslims, though. Look at this. I'm, clo- I'm going to close it here. Man, there's a lot more that could be said, but this is why I was so happy for the ver- this chapter. And it's really confusing, super confusing. I spent a lot of time with it. Look at, look at 11 and 12. Then I said, until the Lord, until the city lies in ruins without inhabitants, the houses without people, the land is ruined and desolate. Guys, the ju- sin and the judgment is bad. The judgment and the wrath of God, it is bad. That's the message. But if you understand that We receive that, but then he continues, the Lord drives the people far away. They're going to exile. They're living great emptiness in the land. So basically, this is message of judgment. So he says, here I am, send me. It's not, hey, how you doing? God loves you. Come to church. No, this is judgment. God is going to punish it. Verse 13, though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again. But then you have this little catch at the end. Like a terebinth tree. I have no clue what it is, by the way. I know it's a tree. Don't know what it is. We don't have those in Mississippi, so I don't know. Or the oak. We do have those. (laughs) Which leaves a stump when felled. And then what does the last little catch say? But the holy seed is the stump. The reason I love it so much, and I know this is ridiculous to some of you, but if you go back to Genesis 13... Genesis 13, Genesis 3, sorry. I mean, Genesis 13 is awesome too, but Genesis 3, we forget the story. You notice Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We are forgetful people. In Genesis 3, they sin, and then God says in Genesis 3, 15, that there'll be a seed. It's the same Word and it continues to show up over and over and over again. And sometimes we gloss over it. Some of your translations don't even have it, they've just put a chosen people. But there is something specific. Why? Because there is a promise of one that will come who will destroy death and sin and all of this wrath that we deserve. Because bear in mind, I love you all, but we all are deserving of it. But this seed is coming. 
But for years it never came, but here comes Jesus. He is the true Israel. He is the seed that is promised. And you say, well, it has to mean something to them. It had to be contextual. It is contextual because they never got it. They were, Israel never lived up to who they were supposed to be. We are just like them. Israel is the pattern for us, you see? But who should have be our pattern? I love it because what I see is a fallen, broken world in Genesis 3 where there's perfect unity and death and destruction come. All of us are dying. All of us are falling away from where we need to be. And then they, they start having children and they never, no one ever comes. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus and he fulfills everything perfectly. He is the promised one. And he is the, how do we know it? Because he came back from the dead. That is awesome. This is not a story that fell out of thin air. This was the plan of God from the very beginning. That yes, judgment is there and it is harsh. And we have to tell people and communicate that there is a judgment for our sin. It most certainly is, but there's a remnant. And from that remnant will come the ultimate seed, the seed of Jesse that will be Christ who he will do everything that Israel never was able to do. Why? Because he's God in the flesh, and he's perfect, and he's sovereign, and he's good. And when it comes to missions, church, number one, we're all involved. We should all be involved with the mission of God. I'm going to just read in closing. I'm going to put, tell you what I, my notes, things that God put on my heart from this passage, if that's okay, and then I'm going to Oh, that'll be it. One, God is holy, king of the world, and personal savior. These are my notes. I brought them. I wanted to show them to you because I wouldn't challenge you. Spend time with the Lord. Write down what he tells you. You don't have to keep a journal. I know that's kind of, some of you don't like it, but just write down what he's told you because we're going to forget, but we don't need to. Yahweh is holy, the king of the world, and at the same time, our personal Savior, the God and the creator of the universe, called out Israel as in a covenant relationship with people, and specifically with us, so the God of the universe loves us as holy as he is. Every person, prophet or not, Isaiah was a prophet, but he knew how sinful he was, and let us not fall into the trap of thinking that we also do not need to be humble before God and seek his face and seek his wisdom daily. Yahweh is gracious and offers atonement for sin. He alone can atone for sin. Sacrifices must be done. The sacrifice of Christ completes that. He has become our ultimate sacrifice. The retained people of God are holy, and we have to take the message. This world, you will face opposition to this message, but it does not mean you shouldn't take the message. How do you do it? You got to talk to people. You got to get involved with the people around you. You have to be intentional with the people around you. The task of Isaiah was a message of judgment, but it was also hope and redemption. That God would bring judgment and wrath, but he would ultimately bring his people back from exile. And let there be no mistake, for those of us that know Christ, we've been brought back from exile. We were walking in sin and death, and we have been redeemed to an ultimate salvation with him. Jesus is the complete, perfect seed. He is the redemption. So what is left through the judgment will be that those who are redeemed. God is exalted in judgment, proclamation, redemption, and restoration. 
Israel as a remnant fell through, but Christ completed it fully. Faithfully shared Jesus' wrath and salvation to all and proclaim the gospel to those who we can. The word of God, the gospel, it is two-edged, two-edged sword. In 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, it talks about being a fragrance of life and death. It is. Holy living does not negate our responsibility to share the gospel. I'm going to close there. I've heard it too, said told me, too many times. Well, if we, what's the, there's some famous quote I hear all the time about uh, share the gospel, use words when you have to. That's horrible. I know a lot of really nice Muslims and they're lost. Isaiah came to the, God didn't say, all right, Isaiah, here I am, send me. No, just go be and be holy and uh, all the nations will just start liking you. Go take a message to them. I don't care if you're six or six or 80 here today. There's someone in your life that does not know Jesus. And if there's not, you really need to get out a little bit. So let's start there. Everyone in here knows someone that does not know Christ. Number one, pray for them. And number two, be obedient. Out of love and compassion, share the gospel with them. And I would ask even again, seek out the Muslims that are in this area. Uh, I want to say thank you for allowing my family to be here. We cannot say enough how grateful we are for, to Woodlawn. Several of you have come to visit us, and I mean this with all my heart. We do love you, and we are grateful for you. If you never did anything else for uh, ever again, we've already been given more by you uh, than we could ever imagine. I also want you to know that, some of you, that those of you that give financially and support the IMB, or you support our team, Guys, you're part of what we do. And I want you to know that we are grateful for that. We do not take for granted God's working in and through you. And I may not know each and every one of you by name, nor you. I want you to know that we love you. We're grateful for you. Never underestimate. I know some of you say, oh, you may get tithe. You hope it goes to where it gives. Our family's been on the field for 10 years. We've seen Muslims come to faith. We've seen new people groups and put in, uh, reached. We have one new believer in the Maldives. A lot of that has to do because you've been partners with us. So uh, that's all I got for today. I'm going to let Lewis close as he feels led by the Lord. Yep.